We are really uh, blessed to have uh, Daryl and Sherry uh, Beebe here today. Uh, our paths crossed actually some quite a few years ago at a healing room conference, and when those were really going good years ago, and some great stories there. Uh, later on, some tragic things crossed our paths, both our families and and others, and so. But um, they're missionaries, pastors, evangelists, and they also serve as elders, right, in, in our network, which means um, they get to kind of minister to the pastors uh, in uh, this area of our district, or anywhere, actually. But, but uh, and so uh, recently, when Cindy was in the hospital, had a blockage um, in her intestines, and it got really serious, and I think... You and Randy both were contacting me, but but I mean they were. That's like who who ministers to the ministers? Well, these are some of them, and um, and when you hear their story, and you you know how gold is refined by fire, you know this gold has to be pretty pretty pure right here, because they've walked through a lot of really her- terrible things, and they've got a, a powerful story uh, that uh, you need to hear. And I hope you can buy everything that they brought. Um, and more, because this is a story that needs to be told. So I want to just welcome my brother Daryl and Sherry Beebe here. Well, you know, when they say, when they say elder, they should say older, because you don't get to be an elder until you're older, That's seems true. like. But, uh, you know, we have been married 51 years now, yes. and uh, we uh, have been through a thing or two. And, uh, you know, everybody wants a miracle, right? But nobody wants to be in the circumstances that require one. And, you know, we all want a testimony, but until you go through the test, you don't have the money. (laughs) And uh, you're going to hear a testimony today, one that we're looking back on, where God was faithful, is faithful, and we know He will be faithful. And we're in the middle of another Test. test. But we know he was faithful, and we know he is faithful, so the testimony is coming, and we're expecting that miracle. And so I might sit down up here in a little bit. We'll see how it goes, but uh, I'm dealing with some spine cancer right now, and I just had a first radiation treatment. It's kind of zapped me a little bit, but that doesn't uh, negate God's healing power. I've watched God heal cancer dozens not exaggerating, dozens of times, uh, instantaneously. And so I have no doubt of God's healing power or faith for it. But uh, we do want to share a testimony with you. Uh, It goes back a few years, but the truth of what you're going to hear is what's real today. In 2008, uh, God... I was preparing a sermon, and God spoke to me, and He said, My church is full of unforgiveness. My people have been deceived into believing they can be wrong with each other and still be right with me. He said, It's time to resign the church. Go on the road and begin to tell your story and teach people what I've taught you about forgiveness. Now, the thing you're going to hear us talk about happened 20 years prior to that. And we had not told this story very often, a few times. God said, now's the time to leave the security of that weekly paycheck and go on the road and trust me and do what I've asked you to do. It was so clear, we resigned the next Sunday. 
and we traveled for nine years uh, on the road, going all over the U.S. and many countries of the world, sharing that story and teaching on forgiveness. Now, the things you're going to hear about forgiveness, uh, on your way out, there's some uh, notes on the little table out there that will just kind of remind you of these five keys we're going to share these were, you'll see some of these in print today in different books across the country. But these are things that we learned. They weren't in print. These are things we learned through that 20-year period of putting the truth to practice in our lives. So here we go. Let's get started. So we want to start this story in 1984. In 1984, we were missionaries in the Solomon Islands. Daryl and I had, had met and in Bible school and married after our first year. And all that we did until 1984 was to, repa- to prepare us to be missionaries. We went to the Solomon Islands. You may not know where that is, but if you know anything about history, you may remember Guadalcanal. We lived on the island of Guadalcanal. It was a new work for the Assemblies of God, and we were planting churches and loving what God was doing. But the local people, um, believers and unbelievers, were just one generation out of cannibalism. And sometimes when they got mad, they reverted to their old angry ways. And there were some times when men came by the truckload with machetes to kill us and different things. That's a whole nother story, yep. but we don't, we're not talking about that one today. Uh, our overseer said, we've got to get you out of here. It's not safe. One day we may send missionaries back, uh, but not now. So they pulled us out, and we were with another couple. They came home to itinerate. We transferred to the island nation of Palau. Palau is in the mid-Pacific near Guam. Tiny nation, only five inhabited islands. And in 1986, there were 12,000 people. It was another new work with the Assemblies of God. The Carlsons had been there three and a half years, and they were working hard just to establish a church But often when they talked to people about Jesus, their response was, we don't need one more God. Uh, Randy Carlson had built a house. It was on a hill looking out over the sea. It was kind of a nice-looking house. It had four little pods down below, one up above, so the wind could blow through. There wasn't air conditioning because there wasn't electricity. Now, they had promised them electricity, and by the time we got there, they provided electricity a few hours in the morning and a few hours in the evening. But other than that, there were, wasn't any power unless you had generators. And there was also no telephone yet on that island. Can you imagine today in this day of cell phones, but no telephone service at all? And when we made that transfer from one country to another, we allowed our kids to go home to visit family. At that time, they had, when they returned to us, they had just turned 11 and 12. We had a lady fly out with them from the States, and uh, she spent three weeks with us. We showed her the area and what we were doing, and she flew out on a Thursday night. Uh, that was the first night we were alone as a family in Palau together. And uh, it was interesting because the power had been out for several hours. We shut the generators down. And we've been praying with the kids every night, God, whatever it takes to reach this nation with the gospel, we are here to serve 
you. We inherited three dogs from the former missionary. Uh, they were watchdogs. They just laid around and watched. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we'd gone to bed that night. We'd prayed with the kids, and we were asleep. And all of a sudden, these dogs started to bark, and they woke us up. So I walked down in the darkness down the stairway, because our bedroom was upstairs, and I opened the back door just to quiet the dogs. Come on, guys, quiet down. In that moment, I took a, a, a beer bottle across the face that had been thrown. Windows began to break. Glass began to shatter. And I pulled the door shut and got it locked. Moved quickly to the kitchen and triggered an alarm that was there, battery-powered alarm. Moved my kids upstairs. As I came back down, three men broke through the other door of the house. And they came in with a bright light. And I'm just trying to get adjusted from the darkness. And they came in ready to fight. And I went from a dead sleep to a fight for my life in a matter of moments. In the moments that followed, I was severely beaten. I was stabbed in the side. And then I was hit over the head with a shotgun swung like a baseball bat that caught me right across the top of the forehead, uh, dropping me to the floor. I was able to get up one more time between the attackers and, my f and get between the attackers and my family until they beat me to a point I couldn't even lift my head. They drugged me into our interior laundry room, no windows, so total darkness, put a pistol to my head and said, if you move, you will die. I had no strength. I couldn't move anyway. So all I could do was pray. Two of the men then came upstairs where the kids and I were trying to find a way to get away. And they began beating me and kicking me and pulling me by my hair and kicking me to the floor. And they were demanding money. Finally, I understood why our home had been invaded. I tried to explain to them we didn't have cash. We didn't have money. They'd pull me by my hair and kick me to the floor, and with each of my answers, their anger seemed to increase. And then they began pulling at me, and I knew that they were going to abuse me with my 12-year-old son and my 11-year-old daughter at my side. I was begging them not to hurt me in front of our kids. I was then taken away from the home and terribly abused by two of the men. A third man took me away from our property to what I thought was a cave. We learned later it was a military bunker left over from World War II, a steel box with a steel door. And there he continued to abuse me throughout the night. Words can't describe the heartbreak of not being able to protect my wife and my kids. My little girl, 11 years old, was pulled from my side and abused. They tormented my son playing Russian roulette when he didn't move fast enough, spinning the cylinder on the pistol, pulling the trigger over and over again, waiting for it to go off, and they got angry when it didn't. And I'll tell you, in those dark hours... God reminded me of a scripture that I memorized in VBS or Sunday school. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll direct your steps. And God was saying, Daryl, I want you to acknowledge my presence even now. Trust me. I will direct your steps. And I chose in the darkness of night with a broken heart to trust the Lord. The Lord was speaking to me that night. One of the things he said is, you will not die tonight. That should have been good news, but it was not. 
because the man who held me captive told me my family had already been killed and I would remain his prisoner for the rest of my life. And then the Lord reminded me of a story in the book of Daniel. Actually, Pastor, he reminded me of a sermon that I had heard about this story. And as the three young men were facing a fiery furnace in the book of Daniel, they responded to the king. They said, O king, our God is able to deliver us, but if not, yet will we trust him. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Sherry, you choose. I chose to trust. One of the keys we've learned through the years is when bad news comes, like when we got a phone call in 2015 Mm -hmm. telling us our son had died, we'd already relearned that the best thing to do is to get together, get into worship, and acknowledge the presence of the Lord because we needed his presence more in that moment than any other moment. And we learned that through experience. Mm -hmm. But God said, trust me, acknowledge my presence. And she did that, and I did that, Mm -hmm. and... As the hours passed, I'm sure I was in and out of consciousness. You never really, I don't think, remember being unconscious. I don't know. But I became aware the man wasn't there any longer holding a gun to my head. And the house was fairly quiet. And I was able to get to my feet and get out into the hallway and out the door. I was able to find my son and my daughter. They were alive. They'd been traumatized but alive. I was able to comfort them get into our speed to light truck, thank the Lord, uh, for the kids that raised funds for those vehicles. Uh, I knew then, I got the motor started, I knew we could get away. But I didn't want to leave the property without sharing. I had no idea where she was at. I called and called and got no response. So I made a very difficult decision. I knew five miles away there's an American CB camp. Thank God for the CBs. And they had a radio, and they could radio across the, to the main town, and they could get help. I didn't know how long I could drive, so I put my 12-year-old boy by my side, because if I got in trouble, he could steer. And I drove that little Speed the Light pickup five miles to that CB camp, and I pulled up, honking the horn, middle of the night, honking the horn, making all the noise I could, told the kids, keep that horn honking. And I got out and I went through a big cyclone gate, fence, big fenced area. Halfway up to the buildings, shouting, help, out come these German shepherd guard dogs. Now these weren't like my watch dogs. These guys meant business, you know. And I thought, dear Jesus, I survived the beating. Now these dogs are going to eat me. But, but thankfully the guys came out and they quieted the dogs. They had a, a medic there. And got us in the, into the, his room there and began to care for us. They got on the radio. They radioed the police department. And then some of those men joined in the search as they seemed like it took hours. They wouldn't let me go with them. My wound was worse than I realized. Uh, and I literally was, I mean, I'll just tell you, I was an EMT at the time and I'd done many freeway accidents and picked up lots of people with head injuries. And so while they were working on my kids, I got some betadine and began to clean my, my head. My skull was fractured. It was broke all the way back and the whole top lifted. And I could see the brain t- uh, tissue around my brain. 
and I knew that wasn't good. So they wouldn't let me go with them for a good reason. But uh, all we could do is sit and wait and pray. It was just before dawn. There was noise outside this door. And then the man who held me captive tried to escape. I didn't understand yet if it was safe for me. I didn't know yet what was happening. There was a lot of, of noise and speaking in Palawan. But then I heard two men outside this door say, Mrs. Beebe. They said, your family is alive. I knew God had saved our lives that night. It would have been better for them to kill us because we became the only witnesses of these horrific crimes. They took me back to the house um, and told me they would take me to where my family was. I got into a little car. It wasn't a police car. They were just volunteers. But the Lord began to put a song in my heart. And I sang out loud. In moments like these, I sing out a song. I sing out a love song to Jesus. I thought, these poor men are going to think that this lady has lost her mind. And I sang, I love you, Lord. I lift my voice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. Talk about a sacrifice of praise. That was the beginning of a new lifestyle for us because praise became our automatic response in crisis. Praise positions you for God's best in every circumstance. We were reunited at the CB camp and taken by ambulance to the only hospital in the nation. Uh, It was not much of a hospital uh, in fact, when we went back six months later for trial, I went to the hospital to make sure the bill was paid. The bill was $26, and I thought we'd been overcharged, so that just gives you an idea. But uh, I went off to x-ray. They were in the emergency room, and uh, it was hours before I saw Sherry again. Because everything changed when the surgeon read those x-rays of Daryl's head wound, and they could see that his sinuses had been destroyed His frontal lobe was collapsed. Indeed, his brain tissue had been torn and exposed. And they said we needed to find a way to get him to better medical care. She said, we don't have any way to take care of a wound like this. So I suggest you find a way. Immediately, everything went into fast forward as we went to the police department and filled out police reports. The understanding was we would be leaving soon, and they needed some help with what had happened in their country. The kids and I were um, expected to identify the men. They, they caught them. It's an island. They had nowhere to go. They were able to, to catch the men. They wanted us to identify them face-to-face. It was a a very, very difficult day. But when I went on to the airport that night to purchase tickets, we learned that there was a flight leaving on Sunday morning. This had all happened on Saturday um, because we were attacked on Friday night. So that night I went to the airport. There was a flight leaving the next day. It would be a a long traveling day. The flight would go to Manila and then a layover, and back to Guam with a a long layover, and then on to Hawaii. It would be a 22-hour trip. 
But then they told me that the kids and I were not considered a medical emergency. Daryl and a nurse would get on that flight, and we would have to remain behind for two and a half days for the next available flight. Sometimes people make decisions that affect your life that you have no control over. They could have set two more people off or three and let them travel. I didn't want to be separated from my family and leave them behind in the country where men had been so cruel. I didn't want to face maybe a life-ending or life-altering surgery alone because the surgeon told Sherry that if I survive, if I had a 40% chance of surviving to make it to surgery, and if I survived surgery, I'd be a vegetable. That didn't sound too good. So she's being left behind. I'm going off for maybe a life-ending or altering surgery. We met at the airport that morning, and Daryl got on the flight. The kids and I were staying with a Baptist couple that we had made friends with. And as they were driving us back to town, we began to worship again. It's the only thing we knew today. As we were singing songs of worship, our 12-year-old son Jeremy said, Mom, God just told me Dad won't have surgery. And I responded, that's nice, son. (laughs) You see, he hadn't heard anything that the doctors had said, and I didn't think he really understood. It was a long flight. I'll never forget between Guam and Hawaii writing a letter to my family, just in case. Thank God for our missionaries. We had our Guam missionary, uh, John Burke. Some of you may know him. He retired in Spokane prior to his death. But uh, John Burke came to the hospital, met me there, spent time with me, prayed with me. And then he cared for the family when they came through. And, uh, but I finally made it to Honolulu, uh, long flight, and the nurse was with me. Got to St. Francis Hospital. I was met by the head of neurosurgery. He says, my team and I have studied your x-rays. We're anticipating at least eight hours of reconstructive surgery. <laughs> With a surgery like this, the only guarantee we can give you is we will do our very best. But before we take you in for surgery, I'd like to do a CAT scan. He went in and did the CAT scan, and as he was reading it, he kept looking at the x-rays and then at the CAT scan. And I looked at him and I says, didn't it come through clear? You know, because I was sitting there on the table. He says, oh, it's very clear. But he says, there's a disagreement with your x-rays. He says, I see all the damage. But in the CAT scan, all I see is a number six dent. He says, I believe God has healed you. He said, now I can take you into surgery and take the dent out, or I can take you back to your room and get you some meat and potatoes. Well, I've not eaten since Friday. I still have the dent. (laughs) But uh, I was able to get to a telephone then. Sherry was in the the city, uh, the only town really in the country of Palau at the time. And they had a telephone in their home. I don't know how I had a number. I don't know. But I got a call through to Sherry saying, Honey, I didn't have surgery. God healed me. I'll meet you at the airport. I walked out of that hospital less than 24 hours after I arrived. I've never been back to see a doctor for that since. God restored me. Now, the scar still had, I mean, the the wound still had to heal. uh, But uh, never had headaches, never had a problem. And uh, I met them at the airport. And we were rejoicing. And then Jeremy said, see, Mom, I told you. God told me. Yes, yes. Now, I was studying when I was pastoring in Mossy Rock many, many years later, study on spiritual gifts. 
And God spoke to me and he said, I want you to know when I healed you. And I said, well, you healed me between Palau and Hawaii. He said, yes, but I want you to know the moment I healed you. He says, the moment Jeremy, our son, spoke those words to Sherry. So that was a prophetic word. He says, the moment a prophetic word is released, I release the anointing to accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. The moment he released the word, I healed you. So when God gives a word, we want to release it. And he'd never done that before. He'd never had a word like that before. And maybe you haven't either. And maybe God just put something heavy on your heart and you want to release it. Get to your pastor or his wife or one of the leaders and say, I don't know what to do with this, but this is what I think God wants us to know. You don't have to jump up and shout, thus says the Lord. Just say, I'm really feeling God wants us to know this and then share it. Because in that might come the healing for somebody or the breakthrough for somebody. The family was reunited in Hawaii. We had medical care there for the rest of us. But we were realizing that physically we were beginning to heal, but emotionally we were hurting. We went on to Emerge Ministries in Akron, Ohio, a ministry there for pastors and missionaries, and they began to pray with us and share the word with us, and God began to heal. We hadn't been there too long, and we got a call from the prosecuting attorney, public de- prosecutor of Palau. Attorney. He was actually out of Oregon. Uh, and he said, we're going to be bringing charges against these three men. And he said, uh, we want you and your family to come back to Palau in December and uh, be the witnesses in this trial. I didn't want to go, and I didn't want to take my kids. But I needed to ask the Lord about that. And after talking to him, he convinced me that we all should go. So in December, we took our kids back to Palau. For We were in country eight days. Uh, during that time, we were under armed guard. We were the only witnesses in this trial. We didn't know about the relatives and what would happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, three men were convicted of crimes that put them in prison. One 17 years, one 19 years, and one 27 years. And with the trial behind us, we redirected our lives, and we made a new plan for missions, and we went on to Japan and worked with American military at Yokota Air Base. It was a wonderful ministry, but a very difficult place for our kids. And after just a year there, we made the decision with counsel to come back to the States and uh, enter stateside ministry and invest in our kids. Uh, Kids are, it's God first, it's family second, it's ministry third. I can serve God anywhere, and God definitely gave us opportunities. And we've served the Lord faithfully. Uh, We invested in our kids, and they loved Jesus through the whole process, and that I am truly thankful for. And we've continued to serve. We've gone overseas many times uh, doing missionary work, and we continue to do so, and uh, just grateful for that. So we came home, and we began to pastor in Port Angeles, Washington, and several times we tried to make a way to just return to Palau because we felt like we never had a chance to tell the people how much God loved them. But it seemed like each time we made a, a plan, it would have to change, and we weren't getting anywhere. So we served there nine years, and God moved us to Mossy Rock, Washington. Went from a church of 425, had grown from about a little under 200, to a town of 500 people with a church of 225. So percentage-wise, it was a much larger church, and we spent nine years there. About... Uh, 
2006, in fact, exactly 2006, <laughs> our phone rang, and it was uh, Rand, no, Rick Rick Johnson, I think we say Randy, Rick Johnson, he was personnel director for Missions Department, and he called us and said, Daryl, ever since you left Palau, there's been struggles. He says the missionaries have had health issues, there's been marriage issues, there was a fire that burnt the parsonage down, all kinds of struggles. Perhaps if you and Sherry would consider going back to Palau for a visit and a week of ministry, maybe God would use this as a catalyst to bring forth revival. And we knew, we knew it was time. Our kids were both married, living in different parts of the country. We called them and said, guess what? We're going back to Palau, and we want you to join us. And they said, no, thank you. Been there, done that, got the shirt, don't need to go back. But as the days passed, they both called us and said, you know, maybe God's not done either working in us or through us, and we would like to go with you. So we began to raise funds, and God miraculously provided money for this trip. And we learned that God wants to take what appears to be a great failure and turn it into a great victory. So in March of 2007, we were getting ready to go back to Palau. That's when we went, but God gave me a theme scripture. And you'll see it on the screen here. And I'm just going to paraphrase it. We wanted people to pray for us that God would count us worthy of this mission of going back to Palau. And that by his power, he will fulfill every good purpose that we had and every act prompted by our faith so that Jesus would be glorified in and through our lives. And one of the guys from our church gave a prophetic word, and he had men come up and stand around us in a circle. We were in the middle, and the men were facing out. He said, I see angels, warring angels, all the way around you. And they said, never again, never again will that happen to you. We're going before you. And we went with hope, a little Trepidation, trepidation, because we'd been in Palau twice, and both of those experiences were not very good for us. But we knew that the Lord was calling us, and we had not met any Palauan believers. When we were there in the 80s, there was a group of Filipino believers. They were there on contract labor, and so we were ministering to them. But we weren't even sure if the Palauan people wanted us to come. In fact, we started ministering to those Filipino believers. They didn't have a church. We met in the Filipino housing area chicken coop. They had an area with tin covering a chicken coop, and then we could get out of the sun under that tin. And we moved the chickens out, put little benches in there, and at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we would gather with those dear Filipino people. When we got back to the airport in Palau, we were met by 60 believers. And you'll see a picture of them here. They had banners welcoming us in. The lady on your left, she was in the church when we were there 20 years before. And the rest of these are some wonderful Palauan people, some we are in contact with even on a weekly basis through Facebook, of course. But uh, so thankful for what God was doing. That was Saturday night. Sunday morning, we went to the church, no longer a chicken coop. It's actually a beautiful building. And there we heard them worshiping God in the Palawan language. What a joy it was to us. And, you know, it's amazing what God does, okay? Uh, When you go to Palau for the third time, you're always looking over your shoulder, okay? There was some noise during worship in the back of the church, and these great big Palauans came through the door. And I didn't know what was happening 
until I learned that right behind the bodyguards was the governor of the state. And she came in and she asked for the microphone because she'd been invited to come to an event that we had planned. She knew we were coming. And she got up and she took the microphone and she said, I was not the governor when you were here. The governor happened to be our landlord when we were there, the current governor at the time. She says, but perhaps if you would forgive us for what men did to you, perhaps your God will begin to bless our people once again. We understood about shame in the country. Now we understood how important forgiveness was. Of course, we extended that publicly, and we prayed with her, and God began to do a work. It was an amazing day. And Sunday night, we shared and then asked people if they would like to receive physical healing. We invited them to come forward. We'd seen a lot of miracles and healing happening in our church, and we wanted to share that. And it was a wonderful night as God began to heal people before we prayed. It was crazy. I mean, Jeremy preached that night, my son, and the altar filled up with about 40 people up front. And he was just explaining how we were going to go about praying for them. And all of a sudden, a gal over on this side, she happened to be African-American. She was on the Palau Olympic team. And she began to jump up and down shouting, my knees, my knees are healed, my knees are healed. I'm thinking, well, that's cool. And a lady over on this side, uh, I just saw her picture, on the, uh, but she shouted, I'm deaf in my left ear. And I'm thinking, well, who told people to shout out your problem? But see, that prompted my faith, and I started toward her. I didn't get within 20 feet of her, and down she went. And up she jumped, shouting, I can hear, I can hear. And God began to heal people all over the room. And we had a visiting governor there that night. His back was healed before anybody ever prayed. God was preparing us for an incredible week. And it was going to be a busy week. So we had also planned a little bit of downtime because we understood about jet lag. So Monday night was going to be our time to just kind of gather as a family and get it all together. But that didn't happen because the missionary told the prison chaplain I'd be happy to go talk to the prisoners. Not on my bucket list. No desire at all to go. But when God opens the door, you walk through it. So I took my son and we went down to the prison. Now the guys that attacked us, you got to understand, 17 and 19 years, they were gone. Okay, they weren't in the prison anymore. The guy with the 27-year sentence broke out a year after he was in there, and he died in a shootout, okay, a year later after it happened. So they weren't there. But everybody, she says, you guys know these guys, and you know some of them. About they're going to come tell the story. Well, I didn't want to tell the story. I didn't want to be there. So I got up and said, I don't really want to be here tonight. And the Holy Spirit says, they don't want to be here tonight either. So I said that, and they laughed, and all of a sudden, God grabbed them, and I shared, and my son shared, and Jeremy says, I don't want you trusting in a God that you aren't aware or don't know that he loves you and cares for you. I need somebody that's got pain right now. You're having, you, need, you need a miracle in your body, and one of the guys had been to the hospital three times that week with congestive heart failure, and he was in pain, and he was hurting, and he finally took a little convincing to get him to come up. He'd, he'd had the, the biggest drug charge, and he'd been the longest prisoner serving there, and the most revered prisoner or feared prisoner. And he came up, and he said, I'm hurting in my arm and up into my chest right now. He's a big guy. And Jeremy says, put your hands out right like this. I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to touch the palm of your hand, and God's going to heal you. 
Take your best shot, you know. One, two, three, and that guy looked like he got struck by lightning. He did everything but fall down. And then he began to say, the pain is all gone. It's all gone. Six more guys were healed in the next few minutes. didn't take them long to come up front. And, and then Jeremy gave an altar call. Now, I'm going to back up quick, and, and we're, I want to get some of this is really, really important. In 1987, a year after we were attacked, I was itinerating, raising funds to go to Japan. I was traveling alone this particular Sunday. I was the guest at Mossy Rock years before I went there to pastor. That's back when we used to sit up on the platform, you know. And the pastor was doing something. And I'm about to preach on the topic because everybody wanted to know some of what happened. And I was going to preach on the topic, why bad things happen to good people, why good people suffer. And all of a sudden, as I'm sitting there, God does something he's never done before or since. He spoke to me in an audible voice. It wasn't the inner voice. It was the voice into my ear. He said, Daryl, do you really want to go know why people suffer? He had my attention. The strangest thing is I answered him, and I didn't open my mouth, but I heard my own voice speak. I said, okay, God, go ahead, I'll bite. Why? I'd say that to a friend. I wouldn't say it to God if I had time to think about it. But I would say it to a friend, and I am a friend of God, okay? So what I said doesn't matter. What he said is powerful. He said, when my son came into the world, I was very concerned about his physical comfort and safety, and what men did to him broke my heart. But I was less concerned with his physical comfort and safety than I was the spiritual condition of a lost and dying world. What happened to you and your family in Palau was of great concern to me, and what men did to you broke my heart. But I was less concerned with your physical comfort and safety than I was the spiritual condition of this lost and dying nation. Now, I always knew he knew because he's omniscient. But now I knew what he knew broke his heart. And I knew there was a higher priority than our comfort and safety. Now, 20 years later, okay, we don't realize in Scripture, you read about Joseph, you don't realize there's a long time between the time he's taken prisoner and the time that he's freed from the prison. And God begins to use him for, you know, years go by. Well, 20 years have gone by. I'm in that Palau prison and 12 guys raise their hand to accept Jesus. And my son's leading them in prayer. It was like God plugged a flash drive into my computer. It was boom, instant. He said, Daryl, had I not withheld my hand 21 years ago, the names of these 12 men would not be in the Lamb's book of life tonight. When the comfort and safety of your family was on one side of the scales of time, and the souls of these 12 men was on the other side, I withheld my hand, the scale tipped in their favor. But son, never forget... When your soul and the souls of your family was on one side of the scales of time and my son's comfort and safety was on the other side, I withheld my hand, the scale tipped in your favor. There was a day the scale tipped in your favor and my favor and Jesus paid the price. And there may be times in our lives when we find ourselves in circumstances that all you can do is trust and praise Him in the process. And it might be 20 years later or you might be standing in heaven before you hear, thank you for giving to the Lord. 
I better quit or we'll never get through. Wednesday night, we had a, another amazing evening. So we had learned that one of the, actually the first president of this new country had been assassinated. His wife, after we were gone, had come to Christ. And she helped us plan a diplomatic dinner. This tiny nation had 17 states, 17 governors, 17 senators, and the presidential cabinet, and they still honor the high chiefs. Everybody's a politician. So we had opportunity to invite all the leaders of this nation to a diplomatic dinner. We wanted to honor them. We wanted to care for them. And we wanted to share with them about forgiveness. The president had a previous engagement, but the vice president came and 60-some other people, governors, senators, and we got to share with them what God has done and about forgiveness. The vice president stood, asked our forgiveness on behalf of the nation, and we were able to minister to them. Later that night, we were informed that we were planning a government coup this week. But having heard this message about forgiveness, we believe we can prevent it from happening. It did not happen. I believe history was rewritten because of forgiveness and the message of forgiveness. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we had secured the largest facility in the nation. That's the track and field stadium. And then we invited everyone to come. That's easy in a tiny nation. We had a banner across the road. And we had an announcement on the radio station. And over 500 people filled the stands that first night. And as we're gathering, uh, getting ready, I'm shaking hands. We're greeting people. All of a sudden, somebody says, Pastor Darrell, I'd like you to meet. Now, I couldn't have told you his name. But when I heard his name, I knew he was one of the men that attacked us. And there he was in flesh and blood right in front of me. I told my daughter, you might want to go away. But the next thing I knew, Sherry and my two kids were at my side. And we got to extend personal forgiveness to this man who altered our lives, who changed the course of our destiny. And we prayed that he would come to understand the forgiveness that we have found in Christ and that his latter years would be more blessed than his former years. That's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. I went on that night to share the word, and over 100 people responded to the gospel. And I don't know about him, if he did Mm -hmm. or if he didn't. But about six years ago now, Mm -hmm. or seven, we were in Ponape preaching the Micronesian Assembly of God General Council. And the Bible school director came up and he says, Hey, one of those guys that attacked you came to our school and graduated. I says, Really? He says, yeah, he's preaching the gospel now. And I said, you've got to be kidding. It couldn't be. He'd never get off the island. He was a felon. He said, well, he did. And he came. And then when we were in Vancouver pastoring, Vancouver, Washington, and uh, we were in process of merging with another church, Turning Point. And, uh, and anyway, in about 2020, well, it's about actually in 21. 2021, one of the board members of that church we were merging with was Palauan. Okay? And he said, uh, down in Salem a couple of weeks ago, one of the men who had to attack you was holding special meetings. Wow. He is preaching. I don't know if it's this one or his brother. I don't know. But that's some of the rest of the story that very few people know.
Yeah. So it was an amazing opportunity. We learned that this was also a national event. And so the high chief welcomed us, and then he gave the people his permission. He stood up and said, over 20 years ago, our guest tonight came to our island with a message that would have changed our lives, but men attacked them and almost killed them. Tonight, they're going to share the same message of hope, healing, and forgiveness. And if you'll respond tonight, it will change your life, not only for today, but for all of eternity. He's more powerful than the president. And he just gave his permission for people to respond. And they did. And it was incredible. And they continued night after night. We had many miracles that, that first night, the second night. In fact, we heard that people were calling into the radio station. They were healed in their cars and in their homes. Anywhere they heard the message, God was healing them. The lady in the white was the one that got her ears healed, which she could hear on that uh, Sunday night. The little girl had been deaf, and God opened her ear, and she, or she could heal. And with those two, I joined them and prayed for another girl, and she had her ears open. God, God was just doing an incredible thing. In fact, out of all of our team that was there... And the ones we trained at the church on Tuesday night, not one of them remembered praying for somebody that wasn't healed. It was incredible, incredible. Friday night, we had a, a miracle of another kind. Jeremy was set to preach, <laughs> bless his heart, that the, the radio station owner was one of the senators, and he was there broadcasting this, and he told us the night before, don't even bother coming tomorrow night. It's going to be like a typhoon. He says, the rains are coming. It's going to be tor torrential downpour, and you'll get, you'll get washed out. And we said, well, we've advertised it. We're coming. And we got there, and the clouds were rolling. The wind was blowing. It was dark skies. We got through the worship service. Jeremy got through about 10 minutes of his sermon, and you could see it coming. You could see the sheets of rain. You could see it moving. And just as the first drops of water hit his head, see, people had a little bit of covering in the stands, but he was out in the open air, and all the ministry time would be in the open air. And even in the stands, they'd never stay dry with the wind and the rain. And it began to come, and the rain began to come. And he said, clouds, in the name of Jesus, hold the rain until we're done doing God's business. And he went right back to preaching. And for the next hour, you could see the rain all around us. It was like there was a curtain of rain around us. We were in the dry. I kid you not, we were in the dry. And we ministered. People got saved. People got healed. And we made it almost. Almost. Almost to the car. And the and cloud the said, that's open. enough. And down she came, and we were wet in moments. But what an incredible miracle. And that the weatherman, the radio station owner said, even the clouds obeyed that young man. It was an incredible night. So God gave us eight days of miracles, and it was a wonderful opportunity. But he also asked us to share what we've learned about forgiveness. So in just a few moments, now we're I going... I know it's 12 o'clock, okay? But God said... Share the story, teach what I've taught you about forgiveness. And we'll move quickly because we'll have some notes on this for you. But, uh, you know, we live in an evil, sinful world where people hurt people and hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. And life's not fair. Yep. Okay, that's the world we live in. It's not if something's going to happen, but what do you do when it happens? And we realize that our own choices would need to determine our future. We would not allow the choices of someone else to determine who we would become. Because we're not responsible for what other people say or do to us. 
But we are responsible for how we respond or react to what they say. But I have to tell you, we were definitely affected by the wrong choices of others. For a long time, we struggled to sleep. We struggled feeling safe. We struggled with reliving memories over and over again. During the trial, I just testified three hours face-to-face with these guys. and uh, There was a court break. I went out on a little deck to get some fresh air because it was near the water and the wind would blow. And an officer brought the same three guys on the same spot where I was because they were hot too. Well, when I come home, I bought a 9 millimeter pistol, got a concealed weapons permit, and nobody's coming in my home and ever going to hurt my family again. Well, I'm standing there on that deck, and there's the officer, and he had a 9 millimeter Smith & Wesson on, in his pocket. And I looked up at those guys, and I was raw. I was raw. And I was thinking, you know, you guys will never hurt anybody again. All I've got to do is push him this way, pull the pistol, come back. They can't get away because I'm standing in the doorway. You'll never hurt anybody again. And I'm battling this temptation. And all of a sudden, it wasn't loud. It was quiet. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay Whatever happens, you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Friends, I want you to know, hurt feelings will never motivate right action. But God's truth will motivate right action every time. So hide the word in your heart. Get the truth in there. The Holy Spirit will bring that truth to your remembrance when you need it. So study the word. Memorize the word. And so we knew about forgiveness and we understood. We had prayed and told God we forgave the men. But there would be a memory and there would be pain or anger. And the enemy would say, you didn't really forgive. So we were fighting this battle. Every time I read the word, I'm reading about forgiveness. And Jesus is on the cross. And what does he do? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen is being stoned. Father, don't hold this charge against them. And I'm saying, Holy Spirit, Jesus said you're the teacher. You need to teach me this kind of forgiveness. So here's some of the things we learned. We call them five keys to freedom through forgiveness. Most of us realize we have an enemy that doesn't want us to walk in freedom. He desires to use unforgiveness to outwit us and take advantage of us. Remember, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Anytime we're dealing with the attacks and lies of the enemy, we need truth. And when we know the truth and act on the truth, we can walk in freedom. Ephesians 4, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. See, I can reach up and grab that little earring right there. She'll go anywhere I want her to, you know. (laughs) That's true. If the enemy gets a hold of you, it's like... A ring in a cow's nose. You can take them anywhere you want. They outweigh you. They could trample you. But you pull on that ring, they're going to follow you because they've got a hold on you. The enemy will take you where you don't want to go and keep you from going where you want to. So we're not going to allow the enemy to get a hold of us. The first thing we learned is that forgiveness is a command and not an option. For the child of God, it's so important we aren't so familiar with Scripture that we gloss over the familiar passages. Okay, listen to this out of Matthew 6. 
If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive now you. Catch these words. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Concerning, concerning forgiveness, if you do, God will. If you don't, He won't. That's the truth. That ought to scare a guy to death, you know, or into forgiveness, one or the other. But it was helpful for us to learn that forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. You know, I never felt like forgiving the guys that attacked us. I felt like getting even. I told you I felt like killing them. Uh, But we learned that forgiveness is... Jesus knows if we don't forgive, the enemy gets that stronghold in our lives. Mm -hmm. So it's an obedience issue. Mm -hmm. Jesus told us to forgive. It's an obedience issue. He said, pray this way, Father, forgive us as we forgive others. It means if I haven't forgive others... I'm in trouble, okay? So I was reading Matthew 18, and most of you are familiar with the uh, unmerciful servant, the parable there. He had the debt so big he couldn't pay. Uh, That debt represents our sin, and after being forgiven, he went and found someone that owed him a small amount of money, had him thrown in prison. Then master that had forgiven the great debt finds out about it, comes back and listen to this verse. The master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And we need to understand that parables are an earthly story that teach kingdom principles. Verse 35, Jesus gives us the principle, and he says this. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Boom. I mean, to tell you, that's I don't know where in the process of unforgiveness that sin debt might come back my direction, but I don't want to find out. I don't think you want to find out either. We learned that forgiveness is for your benefit, not the benefit of the offender. This, this was really, really big. It was very difficult for our daughter. She was a little girl, and she felt like if she forgave these men, that God would automatically forgive them too, and she wasn't okay with that. Because, you know, we thought if we forgive, we lose our power over them to cause them pain. Well, the truth is we don't have power over them to cause them pain. Unforgiveness gives the enemy power over us to keep causing us pain. They might not have thought of you for years. I I tell you, I had a guy sitting in my home just the other day. He was a dear friend 30 years, 35 years ago when all this went down. It was his wife that was in Palau the night before we were attacked. I mean, we were dear friends. Him and his wife got mad at God because of what happened to us. They left church. They backslid. She's just come back to church in the last two years. But he sat in my home, and something a pastor that followed me said upset him. He picked up an offense. He's not been back in church since. The guy that probably, poor pastor, didn't even know what he said offended somebody. And for 37 years now, the enemies use this to steal his giftings that could be used to bless people, his life, his ministry, because I ain't going to forgive him. He hurt me. You know how the enemy does that? Stealing from us. But let me tell you, forgiveness, I had the privilege 
our friendship went away, friends. We tried to keep it going, but we had nothing in common. They never reciprocated until about a week ago, two weeks ago. They called like nothing had ever happened. We miss you. We'd love to see you. And they came to my home in Post Falls. And I got to share with him the importance of forgiveness and how his life has been sidetracked because of something that pastor probably doesn't even, isn't even aware of. I was able to pray that he'd come to that place and make that choice. We know that forgiveness must be specific and not general. We can't just say, God, I choose to forgive everybody and it's all gone. See, the Lord doesn't work that way. Matthew five twenty three and 24, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember your brother has something against you, you've done something, you're reminded of it, it says, leave your gift of praise. Leave your gift there. Go be reconciled to your brother. Then come and I will receive your gift. So if, if you've said something and you're aware of it that's harmed somebody or they think you meant something you didn't but you're aware of it, praise is no longer your priority. Leave it there. Go deal with it and then come offer your gift. Mark eleven twenty five says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone... Forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This is a spot where the Lord began to speak to me. Even this week, he said, you need to share what I've done for you. So here goes. Two years ago She's this month. She's not shared this before, so hang with us. Two years ago this month, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, when we started the process, immediately when we got the diagnosis, we were shocked, never found anything like that in my family, never expected it. We called our son and daughter, our daughter and son-in-law, asked them to come spend time with us. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, I am healing you. But let me tell you where this started. And he told me that there's someone that has been helping another family member, and I have not felt that they were treating them fairly. And I was holding offense against them for the way they treated my family member. I know about forgiveness. I teach it. I understand, and still... See how the enemy can slip in there? I didn't realize that I was holding unforgiveness. And the Lord told me, you need to repent and let go of that unforgiveness. And then he said, I'm healing you and this will be done. Unforgiveness can come in, in uh, sneaky ways, in unusual ways. So what I have learned to do is, Lord, purify my heart. Check my heart. Help me be sure that there is no unforgiveness in my life and in my heart. Many studies will tell you that Breast cancers often cause between offense between women. Now, I'm not telling you all cancer no, is related to not. unforgiveness or offense. That's just what the Lord told me about my situation. And I was shocked that I was even holding those kind of feelings. I had to repent and let him start over a new but work in my life. When you know the truth life. and respond to the truth, freedom comes. And for that, we are grateful. Uh, the last thing we learned is forgiveness is a process or a journey, not an event. Yeah. We've, we said the words, but we didn't realize that that didn't finish it. Yeah. 
Because every time the memory came, pain was present, and the enemy said, you hadn't forgiven. So we bought into the lie and got right back into that cycle. Once I come to understand, and again, I'm saying, we were over a 20-year period of learning these things, that forgiveness takes time. Every time the memory comes and there's pain present, I realize it's not that I didn't forgive, it's just that my journey of forgiveness is not over in that circumstance. So every time I would choose to continue to forgive until the day came when I had the memory and the pain was gone. So as we share with you today, it is sometimes it's emotional, but it is not a painful memory in our lives. And so as we share, it, when it's no longer painful, it's just a memory. It is not a trauma in your life. So we need to learn to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. So in one situation, you might be just starting the forgiveness process. Another one you might be in the middle of. Another one you might just be completing. See, because we live in a world where people hurt people, okay? We've all hurt people by what we've said or done, and other people have hurt us. So we realized that we were going to live with the consequences of what happened to us, either in the freedom of forgiveness or the bitterness of unforgiveness. Hey, the bitterness of unforgiveness puts colored glasses on you. you. It's like cataracts. You can't take them off until you learn to forgive. And it will color everything you do in your, in your life and affect every relationship you have. Smead, Lewis Smead has a great quote. Lewis Smead said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was me. Yeah. Side note, bunker, steel door. That was when we case. went back, 20 years later, we went back to the house. There was a young man walking down the road. I said, he, he looked like he was about in his 30s. And I says, have you lived in the village all your life? He said, yeah. I says, we used to live in this house. My wife and me and my two kids. And he looked at Sherry. He said, you used to bake me cookies. I used to play with Jeremy and Jennifer. He's now, he was then the coach of the Olympic team. And we asked him if he knew where that bunker was. And he took us over there. And we were able to, I was able to walk in that horrid place with what took place there and realized, couldn't begin to imagine. And he was shamed by what happened there and his head was down. Next thing I knew, Sherry was no longer by my side. She was by his side. And she was holding him and hugging him and telling him, it's going to be okay. Jesus is forgiven. Jesus is our healer. He's our helper. And we're able to minister him and reunite our kids together after all those years and they got to spend some quality time together. <clears throat> Five keys to freedom through forgiveness. For the child of God, forgiveness is a command and not an option. It is a choice and not a feeling. It's for our benefit, not the benefit of the offender. It must be specific and not general. It's a process or a journey, not an event. Now, those five keys are on that little paper that's out in the foyer. You also will have that on your computer if you keep it because you copied it. Okay, so you'll have all those things available but I want to just give you an opportunity today to get free from the bondage of the enemy's lies. And, and, and we're just going to ask the Lord to bring to your mind, even if you thought you forgave, we're going to let God just give you opportunity to have the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. So I want you to stand with me. And, and we're going to pray. 
And, and we're just saying, Holy Spirit, if there's anybody that gives the enemy a foothold in our life because of unforgiveness, any circumstance, anything, God, we want to be free, God. We want to be free. We want nothing hindering us from you accomplishing in our life and through our life everything you want to accomplish. So Holy Spirit, show us. Now I'm going to lead you in a responsive prayer. And down in the prayer, I'm going to say, I choose to forgive so-and-so. Now the enemy needs to hear us pray out loud because he can't read your mind. You don't have to shout because you might be forgiving somebody standing pretty close to you. Okay? But you need to say it out loud because the enemy needs to hear this. Because he's bound by truth. And strongholds will be broken in this prayer. Okay, let's pray. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. In obedience to your word. In obedience to your word. I choose to enter. I choose to enter. This journey of forgiveness. This journey of forgiveness. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. For the times I have hurt others. For the times I have hurt others. And for my unwillingness. And for my unwillingness. To forgive those who have hurt me. To forgive those who have hurt me. I choose now to forgive. I choose now to forgive. Right now, just put the name in, what they did and how it made you feel. God, we choose to forgive. God, one time I mentioned a name, and I just pulled something out of the air, I thought, that said, I forgive Bill for embezzling money from my company, ruining my reputation and making me go bankrupt. God, I had no idea there was... A man there who, Bill, had stole money from his company. But God, you knew. And that day, he forgave Bill. And he entered into freedom. God, we choose freedom today. And now I bring the finished work of Jesus Christ. And now I bring the finished work of Jesus Christ. Between me and what was said or done to me. Between me and what was said or done to me. Closing the doorway. Closing the doorway. Of unforgiveness forever. Of unforgiveness forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For freedom. For freedom. And for peace. And for peace. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor, I'm going to have you come. Just want to just just give you just a clip. I'm not going to take time to. Uh, we'll pray for some people if you want, but uh, we have learned as we have traveled thousands and thousands of miles that unforgiveness hinders healing. Forgiveness positions you for a miracle. So if if you've have just been choosing to be forgiving and you've been dealing with something that you need healed. These are specifically the people I'd like to pray for this morning. Okay? Uh, You have just as much anointing for healing here among you as I have. Okay? All of us have that authority in Christ to minister healing to people. You don't have to be touched by the guest speaker. In fact, I'm going to sit down for a while. My back's hurting. Maybe one of you might feel anointed to come pray for me. That's fine, too. But specifically, if you've been dealing with an illness and you needed to forgive somebody and you chose to do that today, I would like to pray for you specifically. Pastor. Amen. So once you, if you'd like prayer for that, just come on up. Um, and uh, they have some materials. Uh, there's some DVDs. Yeah. You want to show that? Yeah. 
I've got, we have a book that tells our story in more detail. Our kids share their stories in here as well. Uh, we have our testimony uh, here. This was shared at General Council, excuse me, at the General Council Chapel, introduced by Dr. George Wood. Uh, it's about 30 minutes, uh, concise testimony, and then why bad things happen to good people. And the book's 15. This is 15, but if you do these two for 25, I'll give you this one, okay? Because mm-hmm. I'm going to get rid of these. We're not making these anymore. Uh, yeah, we can do it electronically. But anyway, we have those available, and they'll be out there. And uh, you can leave a check made out to Daryl Beebe Ministries or D- DLBB, whatever. But we want to pray for people. This is secondary to us. But if you have friends that need to hear the story, right, right. you know, I tell people, don't give this away. Stick it in your computer and make a copy and give the copy away. Mm-hmm. Keep it so you'll have it next time. If they get it, they're not going to give it back to you. Just, yeah. just saying. Yeah. Yeah, and those, those are more doorways to freedom, <laughs> really. All right. So, so why don't you close your eyes just for a moment. Anybody else, you just want to, this would be the time to respond. You just would like prayer. Um, even if, you, you know, you've been dealing with, with something, you think, well, I think I've kind of forgiven, but, you know, it'd be good to just come and just make your way up here. We're going to close here. But um, we don't want you to not receive the prayer um, uh, this morning. So, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank Amen. You, Jesus. So, uh, we're going to pray, and then, then if you need to go afterward, you can go. We'll pray with those who are up here. Um, and I'll let you guys lead that if um, you do that, please. So. so, Father, we just thank you. God, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that we don't have to understand why things happen as much as we need to know who our God is. And we just thank you, Father, for just the encouragement of, um, of just the, uh, the stories, the testimonies that come out of these tests that just show the, the love and the, and the mercy of God as, and, and, and just the unique way in which you work, which is so beyond understanding, and yet, God, you're able to make all things work together for good, even if it takes 20 or more years. You're going to do uh, that, which uh, brings glory and brings life to others uh, as we keep trusting you. And so, Father, I pray for that faith to be part. In, we would know that kind of faith as well as, well as knowing that kind of forgiveness um, in this time. And we just... Uh, uh, come before you today, and I just pray you minister to each heart. Uh, touch one as uh, the hands are laid on each one, Lord, in Jesus' name. Um, we see that victory, that freedom, Lord God, and, and, and you get glory out of the situations in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.